You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Hopefully everybody's doing well. We're getting closer to hunting season and everybody's probably preparing. And uh, I've been shooting my bow a little bit. I've been working on client properties, cutting timber. I got to get my own stuff together here. So I'm kind of a bit in a scramble. You know, hunting season's really not that far away from me. And I think a lot of people are probably trying to, you know, get ahead of the game, you know, trail cameras and starting to inventory deer and just seeing what you got in your landscape and, and what deer are kind of immigrating onto your property. So, you know, I just kind of want to relay that, you know, we're all in the season of interest right now and trying to get prepared is something that's that's on my docket. So I think that's relatable to most people. So the topic today, we talked a little bit in the last podcast about vision and I'm a visionary, or I like to say that I'm a visionary. I like to come up with a plan. And part of that plan, I like to have goals and objectives. And some of that's just based on having, you know, the basic principles and understanding, you know, what you're expecting, what your des desired future outcome will be based upon, you know, a particular opportunity. You know, as a landowner, one of my objectives is to improve my property for deer hunting. But there's a lot that goes into that. You may be talking about forest sustainability, Habitat, biodiversity, things of that nature. So we're talking in this case, I got a client on the call today. It's one of my clients. And I think he's got a diverse perspective on things. I think we're going to talk about empowerment today and taking some of the vision and applying it. Ryan, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here, John. Okay, great. So I'll introduce you. So Ryan Audette is a client of mine. He's got property in Vermont. I won't get specific, but you're in the state of Vermont. You also live in Connecticut, and you have property in Connecticut that you work on. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, like I said, I'm from Vermont. I've been down here in Connecticut uh, for about eight years. And then two years ago, I had an opportunity to uh, purchase a property back home where I'm from. Uh, a property, um, I'm a firm boy, so this is a property I grew up uh, hanging 
with our family. And so it's 340 acres, and just uh, the right opportunity came. And uh, so I was able to purchase this property. So I, I just trying to figure out what to do with it. My Really my long-term goal for the property um, was to kind of um, try to build a herd. You know, you watch all these internet videos, and I don't hunt in the foreseeable future much, but I'm, was, my goal was to try to uh, build that deer herd, come up with a plan, have that habitat working for me um, until the time that I was able to hunt more more often. Yeah, that's understandable. So, you know, when you buy a piece of property, you know, it, you know, we, t- we talked about this in the last podcast, we, you've got to have kind of an, uh, a vision, right? And, and that vision in your case may, may be a long-term vision because you have family, you know, you have kids, you have responsibilities at home, traveling back home to Vermont to work on the property is, is something that may be difficult for you. And even taking the time to hunt, you know, that's, that's something where if you're buying a piece of property and, and you know, at some point you'll have more time to invest in it. But you're trying to set it up in the interim. So you get that three, four, 10 year gain in habitat improvement or biodiversity or whatever the case may be, it's going to lead to more success. And I think that's really something that a lot of people, you know, they want instantaneous success. There's nothing that's instantaneous in this discipline whatsoever. And I think a lot of people think that you make these changes, like for example, you put in a food plot. And instantaneously, you're going to achieve something as a result of that. I'm not saying you won't achieve something, like you won't maybe attract more deer, but it's it's very uh, myopic, right? It only has, there's only one outcome, that's a food source. And that food source is going to sustain deer for a period of time. So what's your strategy related to that food source? One thing I'll say about your property, Ryan, in Vermont, it's a large property. It's a unique property. It's got, of, I think, a pretty big mix of uh, timber and agricultural areas. And we did some field conversion stuff. I think that's not unique to your specific area, but it's definitely different. And I forget what the breakup is. I don't have my charts in front of you, or in front of me, excuse me, on your particular property, but taking a, let's say a 360 acre property and having 75 acres of agriculture to work with that either you're putting in into CRP or you're letting it go fallow or you're having small harvest goals. Maybe you have some areas that you want to have hay. And then you're integrating a management plan for deer hunting purposes. That's a little bit daunting to, to a lot of people. And I'm not <laughs> sure if that's something that you experienced, but that that's something that I would say that people may struggle with. Absolutely. And, you know, just, and, and you said that right from the beginning, you know, we're going to go slow. Uh, we're going to prioritize. Um, we're going to break it down and, you know, at first it's, it's very overwhelming, but it's just, just talking with you and just saying, Hey, let's stay the course. Let's pick off these projects and we're, we're going to get there. And it's, it all, it all seems very achievable. Uh, just slow and steady. Yeah. I think slow and steady does win the race in these situations. And I'm, I'm going to laugh a little bit because uh, Josh Stryker and I were up there. We cut timber. So I consulted for a few days on your property. We we spent the night together at your your cabin, um, small house. Your uh, cousin lives on the property. And yeah. we, we just had a great time, right? It was just, it was, it was fun. I really enjoyed going back up there. We went up there in a snowstorm just before t- turkey season to cut timber on you. And 
the the recommendation I, I've, I've continued to preach in this podcast, consulting is great. You and I spent a, probably half a day the second day because we needed a full day and a half to walk. We took the second half of the, the second day and we, we did a little cutting. We started to come up with a, you know, kind of a brief synopsis and strategy and in placing deer in certain areas. Now, when you got the plan and they're big packages, you know, cl- my clients get, you know, there's, there's more information, right? It's got a, a full breadth layout. There's four big maps and you start to kind of come up with the, the synergies of all the en- enhanced uh, features that we're, we're starting to lay out. That kind of puts the story together. So you kind of, you're supposed to, at least in my system, you're supposed to take from the consulting. If you have an extra day for me to spend and, and cut with you, or a few days for me to work with you and cut with you. And then you get the plan and you get a chance to read through the plan. And then when you have feedback, we, we get a chance to do an exit interview and, and talk about any of the specifics or maybe some of the strategies you think may or may not work because not everything I suggest is perfect. But on your property, what I got the most out of and I think you'll get the most out of is those couple of days we came up and cut. And I think that to me was a great experience. It was a great experience, I think, for your cousin. But then we really kind of putting, you know, the plan to action. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. struggle. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get us ahead to the conversation, but I, I really want to get into the empowerment mindset. Because this is a mindset that I think a lot of people may have but they don't have the tools. So unless you have the tools, it's really hard to do things very strategically. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the second half of the day we spent uh, up cutting. I am not, uh, uh, and I do not run a chainsaw well. Uh, this stuff's a little intimidating. I, I can do the basics. That really meant everything to me just seeing you we're walking through and you're you're just explaining we're going to start here we're going to put a bed here we're going to cut and just seeing it, it done and um the time you took to to just explain it you showed me different types of beds bedrooms breaking it up and but also like there was just the beginning for you giving me like my my deer lens you know like identifying what they want and then go enhance it and um, and that's I really took everything from that because I immediately went to Connecticut and went into my woods, which you know I've been hunting it, you know seven eight years. I don't know what it is, and I've never really gone in and and attacked the habitat, attacked the woods. You know I do a little bit of food plotting and I make sure I have great access, but that's about it and my strategy to kill deer there. But I immediately went in and, and just started being like. Um, I want deer here. And that's something I've never thought about. And that's what you, you know, you, you preach is like, you know, put deer where you want to put deer. And uh, so I was like, I just went in and said, well, what would John do? He would say, put deer here. And I started putting deer here and bedrooms here. And then it started the trails. And I just, you know, I've been in there eight years and I've never done any of that and never thought to do any of that. And, uh, you know, now it's, whether I'm in Vermont for a weekend I know something that I can go do and have an impact. Uh, I just wasn't there yet uh, without just you giving me a little bit of confidence, you giving me a vision and a little bit of know-how. And uh, I feel like I was just off and running. I like the concept you just said. I think, I think you used the term deer lens. Is that what you said? 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a great, that's a great term. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to trademark that. So having, having that deer lens in that example, so you've got a, let me back up for a second. You're a successful hunter. You've killed big bucks. This isn't new to you. So everybody thinking, you know, oh, you know, you've killed big bucks throughout your career. You've put people on big bucks. So it's not, it's not that you aren't successful. We're talking about being super efficient and having a plan. So can you explain a little bit more, you know, what, what you've, what you've done maybe generically and what you're seeing now just on the kinetic property? Because I think that's where you've been able to put more time and effort yourself onto because you do have the tools. Yeah, I've, I've you know, Kinetic is you know, just where I am. It's just a lot different from Vermont. Um, you know, it's hard just to kill any buck in Vermont. Kinetic, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good situation, and, you know, it, it starts with having good deer around you. But, you know, I have a buddy who comes and visits me every fall. I'm able to put him on a deer, and I think it's part of my old football coaching mentality. It's just strategy, 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 efficiency. And it kind of started with him visiting because, you know, he, he's going to hunt for three days. And, and it's the best experience in the world when he comes, he shoots a buck. And I, I spent all summer trying to plan his access, put that deer where I want it to be, where he's going to kill it. Um, so it started with that, just having him successful for the weekend. And it's just kind of carried over to me. Um, and, you know, one thing I've heard you say early on in a podcast is that, you know, you need to be efficient. I have a very busy home life, and I'm setting my properties up to go kill. Like, you don't hunt, I, I go and I kill. And that's what I was doing. That's what really connected with me is that, you know, when I first got down here, it was I was just so excited to go hunt, see deer. In Vermont, you just don't see deer as much. And that did cause some friction on the home life because I was like, I want to hunt, I want to hunt. And, you know, now I, I started being, you know, smarter, and started just kind of doing things that allow me to go in and hunt, to go in and kill. And now I, I hunt way less. I, I shoot um, great deer. Um, you know, everything's three or four years old is everything I'm, I'm super happy with. I've, probably, I've gotten one five-year-old down here. Um, but that's what, just hunting less, hunting smarter, and just trying to be efficient. And now with, I guess, this, this deer lens I've taken from you, I've, I've gone in. And, you know, and I hunt 10 acres, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a big property, but there's like 10 acres of, of swamp really that I have. It does play up against uh, a neighboring property, a swamp. It's probably another 10 acres maybe. And like I, this spring, I, you know, I've, we have 10 acres and I've probably improved 15. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I'm, I'm just working on getting all the trails that come in the middle. My goal was to bring deer more, into our property um and and i'm i'm just i really uh, i like the episode about the buck trap because that's that's what i feel like i'm i'm building buck traps down here to be efficient and kill um but yet in vermont i have the long-term plan you know pick away projects um you, you know we're, we're we're bringing the edges closer you know all those good stuff we talked about um, so I, I feel like I have the best of both worlds. I have a long-term plan and I have the immediate, immediate, you know, improve your hunting strategy, go kill efficiency, uh, kind of experience down here. And, and so that brings up another point for me, thinking about you have two 
properties basically to work on. So you have opportunity. A lot of clients, I go to their property and I say, well, where else do you hunt? There's, they said here. And I said, well, that's a mistake. You know, if you're making the decision to have one property and you're putting all your cards in, in, in that basket or excuse me, eggs in that basket, you're setting yourself really up for limited success. Now, let me just take me for example. Um, I have a whole bunch of properties to hunt. Now, some of them I hunt with other people. Some of them, you know, I, I just kind of abuse a little bit. Most of them I don't have a chance to work on. And, and that's not ideal, but it gives me opportunity should I want to just enjoy myself. So putting your eggs in one basket is, is a bad idea. And, and I like your long-term philosophy. I know the property in Connecticut because we've talked about it. I mean, I think we drew it out when I was, well, I was there and I was making recommendations for you when I was doing consulting. The biggest thing that you're running up to in a property like that is a lot of fragmentation. You know, when you start connecting the dots and creating better flow throughout a property, you're going to see movement in, in, in multiple dimensions. And you have to think about this in multiple dimensions and why deer are using certain areas when, how you're enhancing it, what features are you trying to apply. And there's a whole decision tree analysis related to enhancing a property. If we're just talking about sustainable timber, that's a component of your property design. That may actually have a food benefit for deer, depending on how you want to sustain that timber long term. But then we're talking about more extreme, kind of more precision. And that really makes the differences between where deer are going to be and why they're going to be there and how to hunt them. And I think you're probably experiencing some of that maybe now. So what are you seeing? I mean, you've, you've started to make some enhancements in the Connecticut property. What, what are you seeing that, that's, that's kind of surprising you or something you're just observing? Well, you know, it's, it's a little early to tell like, how this is going to carry into the fall. But um, what I'm seeing is typically in the summer, I'll have probably one mature doe in there with two fawns um, and a, a buck or two given, you know, ages are kind of, you know, young to three-year-old buck. Uh, but that's about it. I feel like I, it holds like three or four deer. Um, now I feel like what I'm observing is uh, I made a bunch of duck, buck bed, or excuse me, bedding, uh, bedding areas, broken them up. I feel like I'm holding more deer. Uh, I think I have like probably four or five farms in there. I have two or three bucks in there. But the biggest thing is, I am getting more data from trails. You know, I never really, it was mostly just put my cameras on food plots and take inventory there. And now um, they, they're following my trail system. I, I can get, I can tell you who's in there just on, on the trails and not, not the food plots. Um, I also started kind of a social hub. I hung a, a, you know, a vine back in April and I have all my trails kind of leading to it. And it was interesting that in April and May, all these deer hammered the vine. And I was sending pictures to friends and making them believers. But, you know, it has, it has kind of decreased. And what I'm kind of wondering or thinking is that I think it was so active in, in April and May because they were, these deer were moving in and they were communicating. They were finding out who was there. And now, like, you know, it's basically the same group of deer. They seem to be using it less. So I'm interested to see when deer start moving around in the fall, um, how how active my my social vine really my mock scrape becomes. Um, but I my biggest thing is I, I feel like I've doubled the amount of deer that I'm holding in there because as I've talked to you, like it, it's a it's ten acres and there's a lot of houses around it and a lot of you know we talk about buck trap. 
you know, I'm, I'm waiting for a buck to kind of get, you know, go through there and hopefully he stays a day or two, build a hotel, give him a reason to stay and then go in and try to kill him. You know, I don't have this large herd in a, you know, a woodlot that I'm trying to draw from. I'm just trying to take opportunity of, you know, getting a deer to come in there, stay for a few days, but now I have more deer actually living in there. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of really good, interesting points. We have higher immigration, We've got deer staying there at a, at, a, at a higher rate, right? So they're bedding there more frequently. So they're a little bit more easy to detect their movements. You're understanding their movement patterns because you're dictating their movement. That's yep. all formulas for success. I mean, there's you're probably reducing the number of cameras that you have because as a result yeah. of that, right? So, so yeah. now, now it's a money-saving thing. And then on top of all that strategy, you're, you're probably experiencing, if you were to walk in there, there's more... Uh, fecal matter and we i really pay a lot of attention in the bedding areas to how much you know there's there's been pellet strategy counts for years of how to measure the amount of deer in a certain area etc i i just if there's a lot of fecal matter that's a good thing and that ties into the social aspect because deer obviously when they're comfortable they defecate so thinking about a deer's uh, social structure thinking about how they behave in those environments that all kind of uh, lays into having a better hunting experience more than likely assuming you've set up the hunting side of it correctly because really when we're talking about building a property and we're focusing on habitat improvements and then in this case flow and and other features uh, you talked about the social hub as an example you know those strategies kind of play into just their overall interest but we've got to relate that to the hunting side of it so i'm thinking a part of your plan when we talked about it before you've kind of laid a, a hunting tactic you know hunting tactic into this scenario and that you're going to be more successful and also to think about this the other way is offensively we're driving deer to the locations that we can hunt them it's not just you know we're going to put a bedding here because this is the most advantageous area for a bedding area and to one of your points earlier you're you're just you did mention buck beds you know i'll, I'll be clear when we go through the process of developing a hunting property, you know, there isn't such a thing as a buck bed or a doe bed. Now, you'll hear a whole bunch of different people's philosophies on that, but isolated areas with singular beds, any deer can bed in that area. Um, it may be more preferential depending on its space, uh, its space orientation as related to food source, the type of food source it's related to, the volume of cover related to that particular bedding area. Those are going to dictate maybe characteristics that would be more preferential for bucks versus does. In that capacity, even the size of the bed may be relevant to that particular situation and that deer that would reside in that area. So what I will say is when you're creating these areas, creating a lot of diversity in those areas for bedding structure and thinking about the size of the bed and the orientation of the bed and how the deer flows through those areas, those are really some of the big secrets to my success with setting up hunting properties, specifically bedding areas. And there's a lot more rules and requirements. Ryan, when I was on your property with your cousin, John, you know, Josh and I'm working, I'm yelling over rule 24, you know, we're going <laughs> to, and, and, and we were just talking, you and I were talking about last night of thinking about how deer escape from these bedding areas and thinking about designing a bedding area for escape opportunities and thinking about, you know, the distance that they glide out of there and how to create buffers and actually how to curl deal around, deer around. So when they leave a bedding area, they can cut back in to uh to circle back because a lot of times they'll yeah. j, j hook right back around so yeah. it's thinking in through you know in and through all these different 
you know, tactics to get them to, to work to your advantage. I went on a rant, but I want to hear a little bit about your hunting setups. You know, what have you, what have you done there? Connecticut or Vermont? Either one. Um, you know, Vermont, I don't think there's much to say, in the, you know, cause we're, we're just starting out, Either we've had two, really my cousin John has had two falls to hunt it. So he's getting a, a good feel. Now we've added your plan, and I think it just hit everyone. Like you know, the light bulbs are going off, being like, you know, this this is a strong hunting plan. This is a plan where we can hunt deer, and they they're not going to know they're hunting. And I just that's just so it's so key with everything. Um, so you know, we're just we're excited for this fall because just to kind of see how your 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 plan kind of comes together, even though it's not complete. Uh, but just to see how uh, bringing the edges. Uh, to the middle because that, that was my biggest one of my biggest concerns with you is like you know you go on the internet and everyone talks about you, have to, you hunt the edges and you push the deer in the middle we're an inside out property i can't get to the edges um and you know you kind of said no problem this is what we're going to do um we're going to give the deer depth here and this is how we're going to do it uh, we're going to use food to help with the flow um and so i, I just can't wait to see the flow of the deer up there um you know no one no one's doing it um, and, uh, just, I don't know, just see what happens. I, I you know, we just don't know yet. Yeah. That, yeah. R- Ryan, that's an interesting topic you brought up because I was on a podcast recently being interviewed and I explained my own property and you listen to some of these individuals that, that do design the professionally and they talk about pulling the deer to the edges, right? And you define the edges, you define what an edge looks like and you define the flow from an area to another area. And then you, yeah. you're you going to have dead zones in those situations. So you've got a property where you're basically in the center of it. And then yeah. how do you bring deer and allow them kind of to creep through the property so they stay on the property longer? And I, I think you can create food interior to the property, allow that to be huntable and not mess up the whole hunting you know scenario where you're pushing deer all over the place. And that was not necessarily tricky but there's definitely tactics involved in that. So if you're listening to somebody who says, oh, you've got to pull all the deer to the outside edges, like a picture frame and, you know, the flow yeah. is like this, that, that is so impractical. I, in fact, I don't even know if I've ever been on a property. <laughs> I, I probably have, but, and I probably designed them with some of that philosophy in mind, but that's, that's minor. That's minute. That's, that doesn't make my decisions on where to put food and how to get deer to flow through the property. So if you're listening to this podcast and you think that's the correct methodology and you're on a Facebook page where, you know, you're drawing these like trails and everything's pulling the outside, that may be pertinent to your particular situation, but most properties aren't set up that way. So I want to make sure people understand that. In fact, I would say right now that's an anomaly. That doesn't necessarily work to most people's properties from what I'm thinking about from the properties that I've been working on lately. That's just one of the the largest, the biggest things I took from you is, you know, I I used to be a a YouTuber and just try to find everything, but everyone talks about the outside and, uh, you know, the way you explain things and and showed us how we're going to hunt it, it it was just like, duh. Like, why was I stressed out about this? Like, yeah, this this all makes sense. This is all easy. We we can do this. Like, this this is flow. Like, I can just... You know, you left there and we could just see deer moving through there. The plan made so much sense and, and we understood it. You know, I think you're, the way you break things down, you teach things uh, is, is, you know, you do a great job of that. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for the kudos. I mean, we've had no agenda in this discussion. I just, I thought it would be a good chance to talk to a client because empowering people to make changes on your property is the biggest thing that we're trying to promote on this podcast. If you just even rewind back to what I was talking about earlier about thinking about bedding areas, thinking about stem density, you can measure stem density. And uh, we'll probably do a podcast all on measuring stem density because that's really, really important. We, we've had Kenny Kane on and Tim Russell talking about you know, forest stand improvement and, and timber stand improvement and looking at basal area and all those type of things. But how does that relate to deer? And I think when you start getting in and actually implementing, making real decisions to run a chainsaw or run a tractor, a walk behind brush cutter, weed whacker, whatever tools you have, when you start to employ those changes, you're going to get a net benefit. And it's just identifying what those benefits may be. I can go in, like, I'll give you an example right now. I have to be careful with what I'm about to say, because I actually... This, this might be considered illegal in my state, but uh, I can work on portions of my property and do small uh, enhancements, um, small burning areas for matters to remove debris. And as a result of that, spreading ash out or removing some of the debris or burning down with herbicide, I don't even have to put in a food plot. The level of traction that will be in those areas as a result of those changes will be exponentially higher than if I just left it alone. So if you're not making improvements on your property, you're not getting anywhere. And empowering yourself to start to think about, okay, what can I do here? Let's take a small portion of your property, and let's say if you own 50 acres, you take five acres. And Ryan's example earlier, he's got 10 acres, and I think he says it feels like it's 15 acres now because he's created probably a lot of uh, various edge and, and compartmentalization. And, of course, there are, you know, an, an edge habitat creature. There's preferences towards certain things, but it also benefits your hunting. But if you take that five acres and start to break it down and define the purpose of it, and then relate the enhancements to that purpose, you're going to achieve something. Now, you may not have a goal or objective out of that per se, but that's where you step back for a second and say, what can I do? What can, how can this benefit my hunting? Or how can this benefit their interest? And that's where you start to say, okay, what are the factors that I can apply to this to, to make it work? And it's a whole decision tree analysis. And um, Ryan, I, I only say that because I think people need to have the push to do something and do something right now. You've got months before hunting season. You can make changes this month with a chainsaw or otherwise that are going to get you far ahead during hunting season and the deer are going to benefit from it. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, just all these years past, I was doing nothing at this time other than just trying to stay out of the area and, you know, maintain some food plots. And now um, I, I'm just, it's, what can I enhance? What can I enhance is, is my mentality and, um, if I get a second, I'm just like, oh, maybe if I connect this trail to this trail, uh, you know, how will, you know, I think it can benefit this or, or that. There's just, there's so many little things I've learned that you can do that have a big impact and can, can have a, uh, you know, a positive effect on flow or movement. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, just confidence in, in, in doing it. Um, you know, I never was getting in there other than food plots and hanging stands and access trails. And, and, and now, you know, I, I'm in there nonstop as much as I can. It's, I don't know. Uh, Ryan, it's great. Let me ask you this question. Being in there more frequently than you have in the past and putting more time and effort, are you noticing the deer peel off for a little while, but then they're in, in there a little bit more intensely? Are you starting to see, what are you seeing in that observation? Because I, I have some opinions on this. As far as going in and bumping deer, what do you mean? Any enhancements that you're doing, like, now? I mean, are you doing work right now during the summer months? 
Not so much because I just knew I was going to be so busy, you know, July. Um, I had the time in, in really April and May. But right now, I, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to just work on food plots. I, I kind of said, okay, you know, April and May, habitat, I know what's coming up. Um, so I'm not doing that much other than um, maybe some access stuff, like spraying trails. Make, I like to, you know, get them all cleaned out, um, get them down to the dirt a little bit so I can go in as quiet as possible. But um, I just don't have the time right now to do much. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. I just wanted to get, you know, what your perspective is on things. And it's, it's nice to hear that you're already seeing, and I would expect this during the hunting season this year, you're, you're seeing higher interest levels and that higher interest levels will probably continue throughout hunting season more than likely. Without a doubt. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen things, uh, there's twice as many deer in there and they're three times as more predictable of where they're going to be, when they're going to be, uh, it's just, it's, it's really is amazing to see now how much easier it is in there and, and better. Yeah. And, um, and that'll be really cool. And that'll be nice for you. Obviously at some point you're, you know, either your little guide service uh, with, with your friend <laughs> or are you hunting yourself having the opportunity to kind of know when to hunt and, and making the right decisions and hunting those higher probability days rather than the lower probabilities, lower probabilities or days that you just want to be out, out in the field so let me ask you your takeaway and you, you hired me and, and this is not a pitch to me, but let me ask you your takeaway from making the decision. Cause I certainly wasn't cheap to come out there and you've made a major investment with the property and you've learned, you've, you've gained a lot of knowledge and the rule sets we've put in play, the strategy, you know, even coming out there and work, you know, we worked for a few days. I, I think we'll probably, probably come back next winter. I think work another few days with you. What are you anticipating? Like, what did you really, what did you get out of this experience? What, what was your real takeaway for you? Uh, I mean, I took a lot, um, but I, I just, I needed to see it done. You know, men, the biggest thing is probably a mental shift. Um, like I think I was saying earlier is just, I know how to do it. I think how to enhance I, I think more about what the deer want as opposed to as a hunter, how can I kill them? Um, you know, to me, that's, there's, there's a difference in, in, in just the long-term habitat plan and what the long-term habitat is going to do uh, for, for attracting and holding deer. You know, I, I, I'm not thinking about the next experiment um, or the next great seed blend or gimmick. I, I'm just thinking about like, how can I enhance what they already have? Or, you know, how can I put them there? And, and I feel like you gave me all those tools and, you know, I think you gave me at the, the basic level and I kind of took those basics and I mastered them. And now I'm ready to like learn more, whether it's getting better with a chainsaw and maybe tackling bigger trees, but you just gave me a baseline to go out and, and implement your plan, uh, your design, but also go in a, a new woods and say, okay, uh, I, I, I have a vision here. Here's my plan, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to implement my own thing, and I, I have a lot of confidence that um, it's, it's a pretty solid plan. And it's just, it, it feels good to feel empowered. I feel in control of my habitat and I feel like I have more control of my hunting now, really. 
Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to synopsize and I'll put it in my own words. And this is not a sales pitch for me. And I want to be clear because I'm trying to share in this podcast. We are part of the system. Humans are part of the system. So your output or your lack of output will result in something or nothing. So remember that and have a real objective. I can tell you on all these clients that I've worked with over the years is we're constantly talking about goals and objectives. They may be very smart goals that have a a big uh, macro or very minute like focus goals. It could be as small as having the right number of beds in an area to create right, right volume of interest, the right food, the right type of food, the right volume of food in an area to create the right amount of interest. So you can really drill down at a very fine level. And I would expect people out of this podcast to start to feel like they can do something. If you're just watching YouTube, you're probably not going to get the answers that you need. You're going to get a lot of fluff and marketing material. It's, there's a ton of information out there. There's a lot of people that say, if you use this scent, you're going to attract deer. I don't use scent, everybody. And I also want to mention this on the podcast. The reason I haven't had, I haven't taken any advertising on this podcast because I don't want it to be about that. Right now, all I'm trying to do in this podcast is to give information. And right now, this is one of the biggest habitat podcasts in the country, which I'm not surprised about because of the level of detail that we're providing. I'm not interested in fluff. My, my buddies listen to this podcast and they, they say, you have a guest on and you want to talk and you want to get right into the details. I love talking to Ryan. I've talked to Ryan a bunch. Ryan's a great client. But we want to get into details and we want you to have success. And it's all about taking the next steps and finding a vision, setting goals and objectives, drilling down, figuring out what you can do. If it's about forest management, let's talk, let's talk about forest management, food plot management, soil management. The environment that's that we, we work in, the ecosystems that we work in, we can improve the entire environment. It's the time and effort you're willing to put into it. And Ryan's doing that on his property. So Ryan, I kind of want to end with that because in my, in my opinion, that's how you create a division. We've got to push people to find success in this thing. And it's not about what you watch on YouTube. It's about having a real vision and starting to map out a plan. And you don't need a consultant to do that. You can take the painstaking approach of the next 20 years figuring out yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that'll be very rewarding for you. Or you could take a day or two consulting and and speed up that 20 or 30 years. But that's your choice. And that's a great choice to have because this is a journey. And if you're willing to take the time to learn and experience the journey in, 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 in full light, you're going to be empowered. And being empowered means you'll find success. And it's speaking the language. If you do not know how to speak the language of the woods or the field settings or what have you, it will take you a lot longer. So I kind of want to end on that, Ryan. Is there anything you want to talk about? Sorry to go on my rant again there, but that's that's no, my empowered no. statement. <laughs> I enjoy your rants, um, especially the rant you had last episode. Um, but no, I, you know, I, want to, I just want to thank you. It was a great experience. Uh, I've learned so much. I, I love all your guests that come on here. Like, I never thought I'd be you know, listening to all the, the timber management and the soil. Like, I, I just was not there a year ago. And now uh, I, I can't wait to learn more. Uh, I look forward to the, the, the podcast coming out each week. And just thank you. I appreciate, you know, all the time you've spent and, and what you've taught me. Uh, just I'm very grateful. Yeah, likewise. And, and I uh, had a great experience with you as well. And, and you know, we're, we're obviously, uh, we're buddies out of this. And, and we communicate all the time. I communicate with most of my clients. And usually we have relationships beyond just the consulting visits. And, 
it's nice to watch people kind of go through the evolution. And I, I love the Northeast because it's this is grinder world. I'm in the hardest hunting area <laughs> in the country. So, you know, I, I had a conversation with a client this morning. I had a consulting, uh, an intro consulting a visit with a client today. Uh, before I got to the property and we are talking about the difference between the Northeast and the rest of the country and how we've had to learn out of necessity. I've got guys that I know that have, you know, constantly reaching out to me and giving me ideas and suggestions. And I'm so open-minded to things and I'm always learning, but the differences in our area, the number of deer, how to hunt those, you know, those, those very few and far between deer, the necessity of, of learning the process to go into that makes all those other areas that much easier. You know, and, and I, I constantly preach that because the experience here is much different. I've had people reach out to me from the Midwest and say, man, your buck wall, that's not impressive. A lot of those deer are four or five-year-old deer. And yes, they're 120 inches. And, and I apologize that I don't have more 200-inch deer on the wall. But again, I'm not in that environment. And I'm proud of that because it's allowed me to really experience hunting really difficult areas. And if you're hunting in Connecticut or Massachusetts or Vermont or Pennsylvania or wherever you're hunting, most of these areas are not managed. And as a result of not being managed, you're not experiencing that awesome hunting that you see in, in those other states. And, you know, I, I will say this. I've got clients that I've worked with that have killed monster deer. You'll never see a picture of them. You'll never hear from them. You, they don't exist. And a lot of people, that's completely fine. And, that, and in fact, that's the, one of the best tactics I have because it's a dog-eat-dog world in the areas that I hunt. And, and Ryan, I only end with that because I think people need to have perspective. They need to be realistic. And having a plan keeps that all in check. You're not going to yeah. grow 150, 160-inch deer in your property, but you're going to track deer more frequently and you're going to kill them more efficiently. And that's a huge win for you. All right, I'm ending there, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. You know, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll talk again, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll follow back up with you in a year from now and figure out how you're doing. Yeah, love it. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. All right, Ryan. Talk to you soon. Yeah, bye. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com dot com.